0: We are starting a series today entitled The Grace of God. Our intention this month is to examine what the grace of God is about. There's a lot that we're going to learn. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 9 will be our main text. If you can open that. And I'm reading from the New King James Version Bible. It reads as follows, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and sustenance our brother to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you look at your neighbor and read read them that verse? Say to them, Grace to you you and peace from God our Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't hear you. I want you to say it again. Grace to you you and and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So he's repeating this whole thing about grace. He says grace to you in verse 3. And in verse 4, he says he's thanking God for these Corinthians, for the grace of God that was given to them by Jesus Christ. And then he says, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you came short in no gift, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quite interesting how Paul uses this word grace when he talks to the church at Corinth, but you'll see that, of course, he did use that word all the time when he wrote to the different churches. But what makes it special in this instance is because this church was a very special church. When Paul came to Corinth, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 17 and Acts chapter 18, but in Acts 18, that's when he came to Corinth. After he had visited the city by the name of Athens, you read about that in chapter 17. When Paul came to Athens, the Bible says he was troubled in his spirit when he saw the amount of superstition that people had been steeped into in the city of Athens. And he was troubled in his spirit by the many gods that the people in Athens were worshipping. So Paul decided to go out into Athens and in his words, he reasoned with the people in Athens. He went to the synagogue, he met the Jews and the Gentile worshippers, he went to the streets, he went to the marketplaces, and all this is in Acts chapter 17, verse 17, and he, re- he, he reasoned with them concerning their superstitious beliefs, and Paul engaged them in debate, and he made a case for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now as much as this approach is an important one and it's an approved one, it appears as though this approach didn't give Paul the results that he was looking for. For that reason, when he moved on to the next place being Corinth, when he came to Corinth, he changed his strategy altogether. Instead of him reasoning, arguing, debating about the gospel, In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to verse 5, Paul says, When I came to you, brethren, in Corinth, I didn't come to you in excellency of speech or of the wisdom of men declaring to you the testimony of God. He says, For I didn't determine to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified says i was with you in weakness i was with you in fear i was with you in trembling in other words i had all these things i had challenges i was afraid i was trembling i wasn't sure and yet my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but my speech and my preaching was in demonstration of the spirit and of power so paul says when i came to you in corinth i didn't engage in arguments I demonstrated the power of God. When I came to you, I demonstrated the supernatural power of God. I did less talking and more demonstration. The talking and the demonstration went hand in hand. And the reason was that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So Paul says, you the church in Corinth, at your very birth, you were bathed in the atmosphere of the miraculous. At the very onset of you becoming a church, you experienced the power of God, the, the, the supernatural of God, and Paul says, all of that, I credit it to the grace of God. So the church in Corinth was born in an atmosphere of signs and wonders, and Paul says, it is all because of The grace of God. Now it's important to say that because in a short while I'm going to show you who these people in Corinth were, what the background of the church in Corinth was. If you understand it, if you can listen to it, it will give you a greater appreciation of why Paul said what he said. Much as the church at Corinth, in the words of Paul, experienced signs and wonders. And as the scripture that we've read, they were endowed with gifts, they were endowed with talents, and they were endowed with the power of God. And yet, they had many problems. The church in Corinth struggled with, with, with canality. Their canality had to do with the fact that they came from a certain background as Corinthians. Now, Their background is not nice. And so forgive me for a short while. I have to go into the graphic details of the people in Corinth. Because if we don't do that, you will not appreciate what Paul has said. All right? So just for a short while, just fasten your seatbelts. And just listen to the little fewer things that I'm going to say about Corinth. And I know these things, you don't know anything about them. Because all of you are such righteous and holy people. So you don't know anything. But the city of Corinth, in its background, was a very old city that had rebelled against the authority of Rome. I told you some of these things before. I want to repeat some and add something to that. So when this city rebelled against Rome, Rome plundered it. They sacked this city. They ravaged this city. They destroyed this city until there was nothing left in Corinth except ruins. It laid there as a waste place for hundreds of years until In AD 44, Julius Caesar came into power. And when he came into power, he started having a vision to rebuild Corinth because of where it was geographically located. It was such an important location and he wanted to rebuild it because this place in Corinth had a place called a land bridge that they called an isthmus. And this isthmus connected the north of Greece to the south of Greece. So there was a port at Corinth on the east and on the west, and it was therefore accessible from the west, from the east. It was just a good location, a strategic location. It cannot afford to die. You know, as you know, I traveled to Ghana in the week, and I came back yesterday. And, uh, well, our carrier, South African Airways, does go to Ghana, but only goes to Ghana on certain days and not like before. So I had to use alternative routes, and some of our leaders went to Ghana via Kenya, and I went to Ghana via Ethiopia. When, I, when we landed in Addis Ababa, I was really struck by the way uh, the, the place there was buzzing with traffic. There are so many people there in Addis Ababa And so many people from different routes. Simply because when you look on the map and you look at where Ethiopia is, it's a strategic place. If you go there, you can go anywhere in the world. And so Corinth was a place like that. And a city like that can bring in a lot of money and it can be very lucrative if you just have the mind for it. So Julius Caesar then set out to rebuild Corinth, but there was nothing there. There was nothing to do there. There was no money. So he decided, number one, that he is going to dedicate this new Corinth to the goddess Aphrodite. The reason is, history tells us that Julius Caesar really believed that he was a direct descendant of the goddess Aphrodite. The goddess Aphrodite was the goddess of sex and the goddess of sex work. So when Julius Caesar decided to rebuild the city of Corinth, And dedicated to Aphrodite, he was in fact dedicating this entire city to the sex industry. It would be a city dedicated to that. It would be a city there that people could come to and indulge themselves. So he went about beginning to offer proposals to certain groups of people, trying to lure them into this new city to rebuild it and to become its founding fathers. So, he approached sailors, he approached former soldiers, former sailors, and legionnaires. Legionnaires were professional soldiers who were used those days to conquer the territories of ancient Rome. These were very experienced people. So, he said to the soldiers, he said to the former sailors and these legionnaires, he said, if you will leave the places where you are living, If you will move here, come with your families or leave them behind, come to Corinth, help me to rebuild this place. If you do so, you'll become the founding fathers. And on top of that, I will give you a tax incentive. I will give you some financial concessions. I will make it attractive for you, for you just to help me to do it. So they said yes. They traveled from all over the East all over the Westlands of the Roman Empire, and they came here. Now, just imagine, here is a city that is filled with former sailors, former soldiers, former legionnaires. These are mixed together, people who are coming to build a city devoted to the sex industry. And so the place then would become a non-stop party, an environment in Corinth which were an environment of people who built it, who were rough people, tough people, militaristic people, and they came to town to make a quick buck and to establish a new future for themselves. So, because this is what the city was meant for, when they started building it, it attracted a lot of swindlers. People moved there to take advantage of other people, to extort money, to extort people in business, to extort people in property. And as you know, wherever the sex industry is, there will be sexual abuse. And so this place became buzzing and it was full of all kinds of people who came there. Secondly, we are also told that Corinth in the ancient world was known by its character. The people in Corinth were known for being alcoholics. They drank such that in the ancient world, when you were a drunkard, they called you a Corinthian. That's what it was. And so they drank so much alcohol that in some of the modern excavations of Corinth, they actually discovered that in the bottom of those houses where you would normally find a cellar, they found huge containers which contained alcohol. So when the Corinthians in their home would run out of alcohol, instead of going to buy, and to buy alcohol, they would simply lift up a lid from the floor, drop a bucket in the cellar below, and then they could get more alcohol. And so the city was known for alcoholism. Drunks were not drunks, they were called Corinthians. So imagine, immoral people, extortional people, swindlers who are drinking raft-tough people, sailors, former soldiers, and, 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 and former legionnaires, all of them meeting in college. I'm just trying to give you an, 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 an understanding of what this place was. Thirdly, this place, when Julius Caesar rebuilt it, he knew that this place would become a very, very important place because it could be accessed from any part, from the east and from the west. So he saw that this place could be could be a place that could be well well visited by people from all over because boats and, and ships would come from anywhere. And so he built it so that people could come on these vacations, for them to come on vacations to just come and indulge. And so the understanding then in these places is that people just came there to have a good time. The fourth thing is that this land bridge called the Isthmus, helped in the transportation of of cargo. The idea was for the boats to have a shortcut for the cargo to be transported from one place to the other. So, you know, big business started booming. So, uh, 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 finally, they did build what many of you know as the Suez Canal. I don't know how many of you know about the Suez Canal. So, the Suez Canal was built in this place exactly over time. The fifth thing is that In Corinth, there was a smaller city not far from Corinth that was called Isthmus. This place called Isthmus was a place where the athletic games took place. People would come there for the athletic games, and because it was a small city, they would go actually to the big city Corinth to sleep there and log maybe in the hotels, sleep over there, spend their money there. But this place called Ismias, the culture of Ismias, affected Corinth because in Ismias, the people there were very, very competitive because they were involved in very high sports, which are not the same as the ones we have today, but their sports were very, very tough and very, very rough. So the people there were tough people, competitive people. There were people who believed in excellence, but they were rough people. So you can just imagine the spirit of competition the of ismias affected Corinth. So in Corinth, you have aggressive people, you have swindling people, you have people who are drinking a lot, you have all kinds of people, and these are the people that Paul is coming to start a church with. So you can imagine, when he visits Corinth, these are the potential converts, these are the potential pastors and the potential elders, and the potential ushers come on now don't give me that look and the potential congregants so when he comes among these people who are like that when it comes to corinth who are, who is he going to have to start a church with they're the only people so paul starts preaching among these people who have all kinds of problems among them but by the grace of god as he preaches and as they see the power of god god starts touching these people so when Paul writes, he says, I grace and peace be to you. He says, and I thank God for the grace of God that has touched your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can I hear another amen? amen. And so Paul stands this church with former adulterers, former drunkards, swindlers, extortioners. And these are the people who when they heard the message of Christ. Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't want to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't, know, I didn't want to know your background. I didn't know to, want to know who you are. All I wanted to give you is, is pamba, not ka. That's all I wanted to preach. And it says, when I preached to you, you received that grace and you began to repent. But even when they repented, as we all know, even when they became Christians, they carried some of the baggage of their old life. They were saved, but they still had bad habits and bad patterns. And they carried these problems into the church. And that is why when you read the book of Corinthians, you hear Paul challenging them about their lifestyle. And he's hitting them hard. But he's not doubting their salvation. He's not doubting that God has saved them. In fact, he is so thankful that God has saved their lives. So when he addresses them in, let's go back, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He says, to the church which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Grace to you. Somebody say grace to you. Grace. Say it again. Grace. Say it one more time. Grace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I thank my God always. Every time <laughs> I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, "Is the grace of God that made all the difference. And that's what we're going to learn this month. It's the grace of God that makes all the difference in our lives. Doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. It doesn't matter what happened in your yesterday. The grace of God has come into your life. It doesn't matter what people know you to be yesterday. The grace of God has come upon your life. It doesn't matter how much the world has scarred you and marred you. The grace of God has given you a new beginning. It is the grace of God. Can I hear a good amen? Amen. And so when you read the New Testament, you'll know that Paul used the word grace a lot. In all his writings. 129 times Paul uses this word in his writing and somehow it is one of his most favorite words. Very interesting, this word grace was not originally a Christian term. In fact, most of the terminology or a good part of the terminology in the New Testament was not borrowed from a Christian source. It all came from the secular Greek culture or Greek mythology. When the New Testament was being written in the Greek language, several words were borrowed from the secular source, from the pagan world, and they were used to convey the Christian idea because Paul couldn't find anything else to compare the grace of God with, so he borrowed from Greek mythology. So this word when it was used by the Greeks, that word grace is the word charis, spelled K-H-A-R-E-C-E. Some people spell it C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, or charis, that's how it's pronounced. And that word charis is translated grace, and it was used among the pagans to describe a touch of the gods a touch of the gods the reason is this the greeks believed in many gods and they believed that when the god touched you it gave you grace or it gave you favor they believed that when grace touched you it did something it didn't just touch you but it made your life better when grace touched you, they believed it empowered you. And it is this empowering presence that transformed you. When grace touched you, it changed your nature. It changed your personalities. When grace touched you, it would give you abilities that you didn't have before. In fact, they believed that when the gods touched you, it was a magical touch. It was a magical spell that when you came from it you were a totally different person to what you used to be before now we know we were not touched by the gods but we were touched by their god grace and so paul says to the corinthians grace came your way favor came your way you were touched by god almighty Even though you used to have this kind of lifestyle, even though this is what you used to do, but when God touched you, you changed in your nature, you changed in your personality, You changed in your direction and when we looked at you, you carried certain abilities that you didn't have before. You came under the power of God and it is the power of God that enabled you to do certain things. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You wouldn't be having what you're having. You wouldn't be going where you're going. You wouldn't be operating at the level that you're operating because the grace of God has come your way. So he says to them, I know when grace touched you, it changed your lives. And so when you read in the New Testament, you see that this grace of God manifests in certain different ways. And I want to go through those different ways in which grace manifests. Because that same grace has been made available to you, yeah. even if some of you are not saying Amen, you are sitting there like your Egyptian mummies. Look at the person next to you, say Amen. Munna. the gods have touched you. But don't sit there like you're an Egyptian mummy. The grace of God. Say it with me. The grace of God has touched my life. Go around and tell three people. Tell three people the grace of God has touched your life. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them the grace of God has touched your life, even if you're not saying amen. Tell them the grace of God. All right, all right. Tell them this way. Look at them. Three of them. Look at them because they're not answering. Tell them the grace of God has touched my life. Tell them it's touched my life. My life. My life. <laughs> Note when grace touches you, it is not invisible. It is not silent. It is not quiet. It is not ineffective. When grace touches you, something about you changes. Already grace has touched you. Because when you receive Christ, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace, we've been saved through faith. I said, grace has already touched you. I said, grace has already touched you. But we also read in the Bible that you can frustrate the grace of God. You can fall from the grace of God. You can abandon the grace of God. You can fail to leverage the grace of God. So in other words, when grace touches you, it is up to you to leverage what grace has imparted in your life. It is up to you to receive what grace imparts and to, and to leverage what grace has imparted in your life. Because when grace comes into your life, it doesn't come to pack in your life. It comes to use you for the glory of the living God. Can I hear an amen? So let's look at the effects of grace because grace is not silent. Say it with me, grace is not silent. Look at your neighbor who's called grace and say, grace, I know you're not silent, just grace is not silent. Grace is not silent. Say it again. Grace is not silent. Grace is not quiet. Come on, say it. Grace is not quiet. Grace is not invisible. Grace is not ineffective. Grace is to be received. Grace is to be embraced. Grace is to be leveraged. Look at your neighbor and say, I hope you can do that neighbor. I hope... Don't point at them. Just say, I hope you can do that, neighbor. So let's look at the manifestations of grace. Number one, grace has effects. I'm going to show you in the coming weeks that there are levels of grace. Different levels of grace. <laughs> when it comes, it comes at different levels. It's not level of grace here. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, It talks about the apostles preaching. And with great power. With great power. Great power. Gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Note. And great grace. Was upon them all. So. There are times as you preach, as you share the word, great grace is imparted to you. And when great grace is imparted to you, you give the witness of Christ with great power. In other words, God equipped them to share the gospel with great power, with great witness. Because grace has effects. Can I hear an amen? amen? So I'll show you some more about the effects of grace in the coming lessons. Number two, grace is tangible. Where grace is, you can see it. In Acts chapter 11, verse 23, Barnabas is sent to go to the church in Antioch and inspect what is going on in Antioch. And then it says in Acts 11 verse 23 and when he came and had seen the grace of God he was led and encouraged all of them with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. So in other words when he came and visited the church he saw the grace of God when the grace of God is upon the people, you can see it. Why do you see it? Because you see things happen there that could happen no other way but by the grace of God. Oh, I see the grace of God upon your life. You see, when grace is on you, but your life is moving forward. Even if they don't know why, okay? Even if they don't understand why, ne? Even if sometimes your life is moving forward. They can see that there is something on you. There is something imparted on you. They can't describe it. They don't know where it comes from. But they can't deny it. They know it wasn't there before. They know it wasn't there yesterday. But they know it's there now. Can I hear a good amen in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. Grace can be seen in your life. Grace can be seen in your life. It's tangible. It's tangible. Number three. Number three. When you are touched by grace, it gives you a special endowment of spiritual gifts. Now note, Romans twelve six, And I want you to see a play of words there. See, in English, it's, it's kind of hard to see you read these words, or, uh, or they are the same WhatsApp group, you know. Note, and I'm reading the King James Version, the New King James Version. Romans 12, 6, are you there? Let's read together. Earring. Oh, 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 class, oh. Oh, class, oh. Okay, let's read together. One, two, three. Yeah. Given to us. let's stop and fellow more given to us. Mamelantlas. Are yang hape? One, two, three. Yeah? Yeah? Are you in unison? One, two, even na in the branches. In the other churches, I can hear I can hear everybody there. In Crown Hevel, I can hear you. Okay, let's go. One, two, three. Yeah? Okay, oh, philang oh. now. Having then gifts. Now, some, do you see the word gifts? Okay, it says differing according to the grace. Do you see the word grace? Now, the word gifts and grace come from the same root. Okay? The word grace is the name charis. Right? The word gifts is the word charismata. Okay, so having then charismata differing according to the caris that is given to us. In other words, every one of you grace was given to you. But when that grace was given, that grace not only came your way, but it gave you gifts and those gifts are grace given in other words it's gifts that you got not because you worked for them you understand me you you got these gifts not because you worked for them but because of this grace that gave you these gifts he says and because you've been given these gifts and they've come by grace let's use them he says if you prophesy prophesy it's a gift of grace use it are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. So here we go, here we go. This is important. This is important. So it means then, when you are touched by charisma and charisma gives you charismata, you need to use these charismatas in proportion to your faith. In other words, when grace touches you, it doesn't just touch you for you. When grace touches you because your gift is not, doesn't benefit you. If you're a good singer, if you're a good singer, locking yourself up in your room and singing to you. Are you understanding what I mean? But your gift is more beneficial when you use it for others and you sing for us. If God has given you the chari- the charismata of prophecy, doesn't help you locking yourself in your room prophesying to you. Are you here, everybody? We have these gifts differing according to the grace. And in fact, you will, will go through those gifts. There's gifts, of, there's gifts of prophecy. There's gifts of administrations. Gifts of leadership. Of, I mean, it's administration. You can't... Bro, it's not just administrating your day. I mean, and really. And you are organized for your day. And the gift of... It doesn't, it doesn't benefit you. Well, when you have the gift of leadership, it's not meant for you. It's meant for others. So when you find yourself in a place where they need a leader... Don't sit on the grace. Amen. Leverage the grace. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? So number 1, there's the effects of grace. Number 2, grace can be seen, it's tangible. Number 3, grace needs to be used. Number 4, oh, I love this. I love this. 1 Corinthians 3:10. pa Paul uring. He says According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each take heed how he builds. Now, that expression, according to the grace, can be translated, being dominated by the touch of God in my life, I have built. Remember what Paul says. Paul says... I didn't know how to build. But what gave me the ability to know how to build a church is when this grace touched me. And when this grace dominated me, all of a sudden I knew how to make the church work. I knew how to make the church grow. I knew how to make the business grow. Before that, I didn't know but when the grace touched me, all of a sudden I knew what I didn't know. May that grace come upon your life and help you in your life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Being dominated by the touch of God. In other words, when the grace of God equipped him as an apostle, this grace enabled him to see what he didn't see before. This grace helped him to make the church work, to know how to organize Things that he did not previously understand, things he didn't have knowledge of, when the grace of God came upon him, he could do what he couldn't do before because of the grace of God. I see the grace of God coming upon your life. I said, I see the grace of God coming upon your life. Yeah, that's the grace of God. You know, uh, 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 on, on Friday, I didn't even say much about it this time because I was in transit. I was traveling on Friday. But on Friday, Bazalana, it was my spiritual birthday. eh? This past Friday, 5th of August, 2022. Because on the 5th of August, 1978, the grace of God came into my life. (laughs) See, when the grace of God starts and touches you, it makes you to be able to operate at another level. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Number three, number four, number five, number what? Number five. five. Number five. Okay, class, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's start. Number one, we talked about the effects of grace. That's Acts 4.33. Number two, the tangibility of grace, or grace can be seen. That's Acts 11.23. Number three, the special gifts that charis imparts, called charisma. And then number four, being able to build because of the grace of God and then number 5 so we are all in agreement first corinthians 15:10 i love this one listen to what paul says he says but by the grace of god i am what i am <laughs> and his grace towards me was not in vain. I told you that grace can be vain in your life. You can receive grace but not know how to leverage it. He says, but, and his grace eh, that I received was not in vain. Why was it not in vain, Paul? He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Okay, I, I can't wait to preach that. Hey, I can't wait to preach that one. I labored more abundantly than they all, and yet not I. by the grace of God which was with me. <laughs> Let's break it up. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Most people, when they preach on this verse, they misinterpret it. You know, they say, look, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. I can't change. I'm just what I am. By the grace of God, I'm just what I am. Right? I am what I am. By the grace of God. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, where you see me operate now, this higher level of productivity. And you see me start churches, go to places, infiltrate nations. What I am, I am by the grace. Matter what I am now is not what I was then. I am what I am by the grace of God. But when the grace touched me, What I am now is not what I was then. Because when the grace touched me, it changed my life. Grace became an empowering presence in my life that brought permanent lasting change. It made me different to what I used to be. Grace touched me, changed me to be a different person. I used to kill Christians. I never used to love them. I used to be that kind of a wrong guy. But grace met me. And when grace met me, grace did something on the inside of me that made me to be a different person. And when you see me the way I am right now, I am what I am by the grace of God. He's simply saying, the grace of God leaves us a different person. The grace of God leaves us an empowered person. The grace of God leaves us an changed person. By the grace of God, I am what I am. May you be who you are by the grace of God. Hey, I wish I can preach on this right now, but I'll do it some other time. What Paul is saying is that I've been able to locate where the grace of God is saturated in my life and where I am able to have productivity and fruitfulness and success that I never used to have before. But ever since the grace of God came upon my life, I realized there are certain areas where I am succeeding. And it says where I am succeeding, that's where I'm going to work harder. I'm going to labor more abundantly in the area where I am succeeding. I'm not going to look where I'm failing. I'm not going to look where I'm not making any missed, any results. I'm going to look where I am succeeding by the grace of God. Can I hear a good amen? You know, one of the things I heard at the conference that exploded in my spirit, eh? It exploded in my spirit. We, we had a, a, a minister from, uh, from Nigeria who ministered there. Eh? And uh, And he made a statement that just exploded. And because I was thinking on this, you know, and he said, as he was trusting God for ministry to move forward and to see his ministry develop in other areas, and he he saw other areas were not coming up, but there were areas where he was getting results. He said, God told him, stay in the area where you're getting results. Do more of that. Yeah, he says. As, as I stayed faithful in that area, bigger results came. Yeah. You see, that's what Paul is saying. He says, "I am laboring more abundantly in that area." Listen to me. Instead of troubling yourself with what you don't have, yeah. instead of worrying yourself in places that you don't have, that why don't you locate where the grace of God is operating in your life? Where are you graced? Where have you been touched by God? Where have you been touched by the touch of God? And when God touched you in that area, your life was never the same again. If you know which area it is, labor more abundantly and be faithful in that area. The more you stay, unkulunkuluza good to uplift and take you from one level to another level to another level. Can I hear a good amen? amen? From grace to grace, from strength to strength, from power to power. That's what God will do in your life. Can I hear a shout of an amen in that? Amen. The grace of God is this empowering presence of God that brings permanent Lasting change when you looked at Paul, he didn't even look like the same person. Some of you people don't recognize you anymore. When they look at you wena, Because they look at you now and they can't they can believe you are so different. Look at them and say, get a bit they know you they know you some of us they know I to listen to chaos. No, to how we hold them on Eh? Eh? yeah. Hold them on that. We really will go away. No, say it's the horror that the book I own. One you today, you are so organized. You are so proper. Somebody shout grace. Yeah,
1: yeah. The grace
0: of God that's why I tell people, that people mustn't, they mustn't think we are very important people we, we are not important people all we have is the grace of God <laughs> and that's why we, uh, there's no need to say, no no <laughs> when we have a Corinthian coming into the church somebody say hallelujah number six I love this one. Number six. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. The word abound describes a river that is overflowing. This means God wants his grace to overflow in our lives. Why? So that we may have sufficiency in all things. What does it mean? It means in all situations that you'll face, in all seasons of your life, in everything that life is going to throw at you, God will make sure that his grace sustains you. And it's not just grace, it's abounding grace. It is so that you may have sufficiency in all things and you will have abundance of every good work that no matter the season, no matter the difficulty, no matter the time, grace upholds you. Grace keeps your ship from sinking. Grace is able to uphold us. That's why we rely on the grace of God. Uh, that's why we rely on the grace of God. Can I hear a good amen? amen. We have this grace that's abounding. That's overflowing. Number? Seven. Number seven. Last one. Number seven. Before I conclude. Peter, when he speaks to us in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, He says, Let's have it up on the screen and can I have it in the King James Version? Not the New King James Version, but the King James Version this time. And I want you to look at the screen. Now, note, I want you to see this. Earring. As every man has received what? The what? The what? That word gift is the word charisma. You wouldn't see it. You, so, so, every man, it's the word charisma, it speaks of charismata. So, it means every man, every man, that means every woman too, every man has received the charisma, the charismata. So, every man, as every man has received the gift. So, every man here, every one of you here, God says, you have received the gift of grace. Like we saw in, in Romans 12. It can be prophecy, it can be faith, it can be leadership, it can be administration. There's like 27, 31 gifts that are there. We'll talk about them. But every man has received a gift. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, eh, hey, stop complaining. You have a gift. You, have, you, have, you stop complaining, okay? Now, note, note, I want to read it. It says, as every man has received a gift, is the word charisma. All right? Then it says, even so, minister the same. To one another, so so use whatever gift God's given you, and minister to others from the gift. please. Okay, stay with your gift. You can you can you can give us a poem. You can speak. It's fine. step. So. So as you've received their gift, but I like the word, every man, every man. Nobody is left out. See, some of you, some of you, some of you, you feel like God's been unfair to you. You feel like God has favored others and not you. But the problem is, you are looking in the wrong place. You're trying to operate in gifts that God never gave you in the first place. You've chosen the wrong career. You are studying the wrong subject at school. You're mixing around with the wrong people. Unfortunately, they lied to you. They said anything you want to be, you can be. They lied to you one thing you can't do is to change the gifting that god has given you you can't because it's almost like a genetic code that's encoded into your core a bird was genetically encoded to chap and to fly you don't have to teach it you don't have to take it to chirping lessons you don't have to enroll it into a university or flying. It knows how to do that from birth because that's the grace. A fish does not, does not drown in water. It doesn't drown. Even the smaller fish, when they, are, when they are hatched and they come into the world, day one, day one, they don't need swimming lessons. They don't have to be taught how to breathe, how to flap their, their things because they've been graced with the ability to swim. I, 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 they mustn't take away my verse. So, so the, the, the problem is many people who feel like life is unfair It's people who are trying to be what they never were in the first place. Instead of you laboring more abundantly in your gifting, you're trying to be somebody else. Now, there's nothing wrong in learning, in copying, in being inspired. Mara Oksala, you can't be the other person. You can't be. You know, this last two weeks, I've been studying about revivals and watching people whom God has used over the decades. Every one of them has their own trademark. Everyone. Everyone. Everyone, that's why I teach people that minister with me, the music group, people in the church, I teach them. If you're going to lead with me, study how God has wired me. Don't try to put me in another box. If you're coming to sing, if you're coming to help, don't bring your staff. You are here to help me. You are here to help this gift, not another gift, this gift. This gift is wired in a certain way. Some of you, that's why you don't know how to serve your seniors. That's why your senior doesn't appreciate you much. Because you're trying to make your senior what they're not. You're not studying how they're great. Uh, you're not, you not hearing what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Some of you, you don't know how to appreciate your churches. Every church has a grace on it. Every church has its own style, has its own way. You are trying to bring in your church. You are not studying. What, oh, come on. Am I, am I, am I preaching to people here? Yeah. And that's a problem know what it says? It says every man has received their gift. It's unique to you. It's specific to you. It's custom made to you. It suits you. And nobody can beat you when you are being you. Yeah. Now by that, Mamela, By that, I don't mean you can't copy what others are doing, you can't preach what others, no, it doesn't mean that. You can still copy and do it, but it will still come out in your style. Every man has received the gift. So what's happening? We've got people who are unemployed, sitting at home because they have a big certificate that doesn't line up with their gifts. Even when they get a job, they are a miserable failure. Because all they have is a big certificate, a big head, but no gift. They can't deliver on the job. Yeah. But if you were to just look at what is the grace God's given you. Yeah. What's the grace that God's given you? And you leverage that gift. You'll be surprised what God can do. Every man has received the gift. Even so minister. The same, to one another. Ah, listen to the next verse. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I'll come to that. You must be a steward. In other words, Unkulunkulu has put you there. He has put you in charge. And he has assigned you and delegated you. That you are still what it means one day he's going to give you're going to have to give an account. Oh yeah, God's going to ask you. Yeah, no, 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 it's coming. God's going to ask you. You are sitting here in church. You have abilities and gifts that you can contribute to our church to make this church better, to move it forward. But you are sitting there criticizing instead of you joining in the workforce, using your gifts and your talent. You want to hold us hostage with your gifts instead of giving them to the service of God. No, God's going to ask us all. Oh, yeah. yeah. God gave you the gift to work with children, to start a children's home. I don't know who I'm talking to right now. Somebody God, talking to them. I can feel it in my spirit. But because you are afraid to take a step and venture, you don't want to start a children's home. God wants you to build one. I'm prophesying. God wants you to build one, run one, because that's the way God has wired you. But that's not what you're doing. You're working a secular job, and you're miserable at it as I speak. You can go for counseling sessions until you are blue in the face. It's not going to help you. You'll always be dissatisfied. You'll always feel like You'll always feel like Because when you operate in your area of grace, you don't even have to be paid. Just being in your grace is satisfying. It gives you contentment. Oh, yeah. Let's have that verse again. It says, Every man has received the grace of minister the same as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Watch this. The word manifold means multifaceted. So, this grace of God. Is multifaceted. It comes in different manifestations. As you look at the people and the grace of God, some of them manifest in power, in gifts, in new character, new temperament, spiritual manifestation, gifts of administration, spiritual gifts, in the way they administrate, in leadership gifts. The grace of God comes in a sundry, sundry of ways. It has many different expressions. And these expressions are never silent. They are never invisible. They are always seen. They are always demonstrated. Because when you look at this person, you wonder how are they able to do this? You just love them when they do what they do. It may be just sweeping the floor. It may be just opening a boom gate. Mara the way by hands on a corner. There's just something about these people that is so different. And it's the grace of God upon their life. And the question is, are you operating in that grace? That's the question. Are you operating in that grace? Let me conclude. People in the first service don't answer. I bind you. You got it wrong in the first service. How many of you know what the last verse in the Bible is? Give me the book, the chapter, and the verse yeah that's a good start it's revelation good start don't open your Bible don't open your Bible they don't know this side this side don't know No, if you're in the first service and if you're in podcast the Lord sees you better tell the truth all right, let's have that verse up on the screen, please, at the back. Let's have it up on the screen. There's the last verse of the Bible. Last verse of the Bible. Last verse in the New Testament. Earring. That's my last point. Oh. You, know, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know what I find interesting? The opening of the New Testament is the announcement of the coming of Christ. And when the announcement of Christ is made, it talks about grace coming on the earth. The New Testament opens with grace and closes with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. And so this month we're going to like a gold mine, a precious mine. We're going to go deep into this mine of revelation knowledge. And every week, we're going to expose a new facet of the grace, this manifold, multifaceted grace, and show you. Now you know why Paul was thanking God for the grace of God upon the Corinthians. Said so even if a background here, you obey know, be wrong. When this grace came upon your life, changed your life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sun.